But now most of us have heard about the face on Mars and repeated accusations that NASA has been covering up the truth. Four years ago, when NASA announced the discovery of life in a Martian meteorite, I was quoted in the press as saying that the earth-shaking announcement was a government test balloon to gradually prepare the public for a bigger bombshell. I also said that the announcement was part of a time-release program to give us all the news and stages. The release of 65,000 photographs from NASA's Mars Global Surveyor has now put us on the fast track to discovery about a past intelligent civilization on the Red Planet. This is NASA's uncover-up, if you will. And the space agency, and I haven't said this in the past, but I'll say it now, is to be congratulated for finally making these photographs available to the general public. Today's press conference is truly historic. Tom Van Flandern, Brian O'Leary, and scores of scientists the world over have been eagerly poring over these pictures and discovering remarkable things. Strap yourself in. We're about to see compelling proof of artificial structures on Mars that could have profound implications for the history of the human race. As fate would have it, NASA's Mars Odyssey, named for the spacecraft in Arthur C. Clarke's breathtaking film 2001, is now racing toward the red planet. When the Odyssey finally sends pictures back to Earth sometimes this coming year, NASA will have taken the next giant step in preparing the public for some very exciting news indeed. Clark believes that, quote, large life, unquote, namely vegetation, perhaps even trees, may be present in some of the Mars Global Surveyor photographs that Tom Van Flanen will be showing you in just a few minutes. This is a sculpture by artist John Sheldon of a famous five-sided pyramid photographed by NASA's Viking probe in the Cydonia region of Mars. But as the late Carl Sagan pointed out in his television series Cosmos, the Elysium area also has pyramids, and these pyramids, very seldom spoken about, are said to be twice as tall as the World Trade Center. How could that be, twice as tall as the World Trade Center? Geologists insist that the wind would have to be blowing from three directions, all at the same speed, for the pyramids of Elysium to have been formed naturally. And then there are the glass-like tunnels, which are at least 60 feet in diameter with exposed sections running 1,000 feet long. The tunnels are amazing. We may be looking at nothing less than the ultimate proof of an ancient civilization that used these tunnels for water or perhaps even for transportation. Before I turn the microphone over to Brian O'Leary, I have something I want to show you over to your left. This sculpture was made by artist Salvador Rizzillo and based on the original Viking photograph of the face on Mars. It shows a giant sphinx-like figure with human features in Cydonia. And now a new photograph has been released that's really going to make you sit up and take notice. It's an entirely new face on Mars, and this time it appears to be the face of a woman wearing a crown. Okay, and now I would like to introduce Dr. Brian O'Leary.
Thank you, Michael. Uh, I normally don't read statements, but I think I'm going to start reading this one. Science is going through a major revolution. There's no question about it. We are living in exciting times in spite of what government agencies might tell you. Uh, more than, um, and probably in no area, has there been more misunderstanding than in the area of the search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Whenever anybody embarks on this search, there seems to be great controversy, great misunderstanding. And yet, more than two decades of responsible research by investigators outside of NASA uh, on this object, the so-called face on Mars, have revealed very strong evidence, not yet proof, that this object and other objects nearby were artificially constructed. And yet NASA and its contractors have shown no interest in these objects and have obfuscated the research. History is full of examples of denial and suppression of new ideas by the establishment. We have Galileo, Copernicus, Bruno, the Wright brothers, and so forth. In each case, the conventional wisdom was reversed by the investigations of courageous outside researchers who have risked their careers and sometimes their lives to seek the truth rather than to be politically correct. My colleague, Dr. Tom Van Flandern, is one example. I have known Dr. Van Flandern for nearly 40 years and can attest to the thoroughness and integrity of his uh, research. During the 1960s, we were graduate students together at Georgetown University. Tom went on for his PhD at Yale. I went on for my PhD at the University of California in Berkeley. Then I was appointed by NASA to be the first astronaut to Mars. Unfortunately, the Mars program was canceled at that point. Tom and I each pursued mainstream careers in astronomy research publishing dozens and dozens of peer-reviewed papers in our fields until the 1980s when we independently began to address promising but unsupported topics such as the Mars anomalies. In 1976, the Mars Viking orbiter imaged a mile-long mesa that resembles a, a human face staring straight up into space. The spacecraft also imaged other objects of interest in the surrounding areas. This began a 25-long period of scientifically inappropriate actions, including the initial de denial of a second corroborating image of the Cydonia face, the use of improper optical algorithms and filters on the high-resolution face image for, uh, for example, the initial Mars Global Surveyor photograph, holding back or delaying the release of images from the public and providing premature negative interpretations of their possible artificiality. Also, we have seen in NASA a lack of cooperation with qualified outside investigators, including campaigns to discredit the inquiry. The refusal by mainstream scientific journals to even consider and review papers, let alone publish them. And NASA's failure to reimage the face and surroundings under proper circumstances when occasions arose. Collectively, these activities violate NASA's own charter as an open civilian agency accountable to the public. The main casualty in all of this has been the truth. How could this have happened? 
Perhaps NASA and its contractors and other agencies are following a secret policy to deny evidence for extraterrestrial intelligence. Pursuant to a 1961 Brookings Institution report recommending non-disclosure to the public. Regardless, sufficient evidence has been gathered to warrant a public outcry to get to the truth of the matter. Through the years, Dr. Van Flandern, the Society for Planetary SETI Research, and I have published significant scientific evidence for artificial structures on Mars. In the presentation you're about to hear, Dr. Van Flandern will be showing you some provocative images from the ongoing Mars Global Surveyor mission. Some of the images should not be regarded as definitive scientific evidence, but rather as further indicators of what could turn out to be one of the most significant discoveries of our time. The public needs to know about the evidence being presented and the depth of the extraordinary collision between the old and new paradigm. No important question has been more maligned or more controlled than whether or not we're alone in the universe. It's time to get to the bottom of the story. Tom? Good afternoon. As we speak, the Mars Global Surveyor spacecraft, <clears throat> the MGS, uh, is in orbit around Mars, and it took all of the images that we will be showing this afternoon. The links to those images are available uh, on websites, official websites, of NASA, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and Mail and Space Science Systems, contractor that does the imaging on the spacecraft. Uh, and uh, any of you can go to the original sites and confirm any of these images. Uh, the um, No special processing was done to the images. Uh, we simply are showing uh, the extract of interest here in each case, unless I remark otherwise. And in all cases, I'll be showing the original uh, image. So for the first of these, uh, now, uh, I should stress that um, all of the images we're going to look at are in the general category of uh, if we saw them on Earth, we would conclude that they were the activity of either humans or large-scale biology uh, on Earth. Um, uh, now, there are arguments why these are not normal products of nature, and certainly nothing like them exists on any of the other moons or planets of the solar system that we have imaged to date. The object on the left has a T-shape, which is obviously pretty rare, that and, and um, perfect uh, triangles uh, are rarely seen in nature uh, and <clears throat> are not the result of normal processes. The craters on the right, I'm calling them craters uh, in a general sense because that's the appearance they have, but Actually, craters on the moon and planet surfaces are not formed by excavation when something hits it. They are formed by uh, an energetic explosion when something hits it at extremely high speeds, as anything striking these bodies must be. The gravity fields guarantee a minimum speed high enough to vaporize completely the impacting object. So the crater is formed by explosion and therefore defined a flat-bottom, high-walled crater uh, that can't happen from an explosion. Likewise, to have a crater uh, the, the shape of the 
the elongated object there uh, cannot happen from impact either. Uh, you can get a slightly elliptical crater, but not something with that extreme shape. Um, the next picture is in a different category of glassy tubes. Uh, the glassy tubes are seen uh, in dozens of places uh, since we've sampled only one one-thousandth of the surface of Mars so far at high resolution. They must be all over the place. Uh, they are networked. Um, we've established that it is not an optical illusion. They are really tube-shaped. Uh, they are not easily explained as dunes or lava tubes. Uh, they seem to be translucent. In fact, in this case, that bright spot seems to be a specular reflection of the sun, implying that the surface must be glassy or metallic. Uh, n natural surfaces don't ordinarily give you specular reflections. Um, this is an uh, object, uh, one of several in this area which if we saw them, uh, saw it on Earth, we would say, well, that's a tree seen from above. But Mars is supposed to be a lifeless planet. Yet we see uh, the radial structure um, around a central trunk, trunk. We can see several levels of branching. We can see shadows cast on the ground. These are clearly not on the ground geologically. They are above it, casting shadows downward. Um, this is one of the images that uh, led Arthur Clarke to say he's 95% certain that Mars has large life on it. Uh, this is what he means by that. Uh, and this is one of many examples of uh, what we would ordinarily interpret as vegetation on the planet. Uh, here's the category uh, of infrastructure. And um, I showed this one out of several because, both the, because triangle sh shapes require a special explanation, and here there's so many of them so similar. And even if those are shadows, you still have a, a, an unusual number of uh, monoliths, large monoliths, all of the same size and shape. Uh, not only that, but they are organized, uh, not randomly placed at all, but there, there are long curved arcs uh, on both sides there, and they tend to, to be lined up in, in the uh, horizontal direction. Um, this is a return to the, uh, our old friend, the Cydonia face on Mars, but there are two new things we've learned about it. Uh, one is that um, one of the arguments that it's probably natural is that it uh, can only be seen from above, and yet it was tilted at an angle, and it's at no, no special place on the planet. However, uh, the white line shows the old equator of Mars prior to the large pole shift that Mars experienced at an unknown time, but probably dated to 3.2 million years ago. Um, and before that pole shift, the face on Mars, interestingly, was right on the Mars equator and oriented upright, both indicators the, that it was a built object. Uh, in addition to that, it's three-dimensional uh, nature. And the fact that it uh, here we see only half of a face in the original discovery photos Computer enhancements of these 1976 images, uh, such as on the left here, have brought out some detail on the right. And we can see that it's not just half a face, that the symmetry does go all, uh, all the way around. The, uh, the enclosure is there. There is a trace, a uh, hint of a second eye, the mouth going through, and so on. Um, 
So symmetry is another artificiality indicator since uh, the law of averages said with half a face you'd probably get sand, desert, mountains, uh, um, rills, uh, anything but, a, but another half of a face uh, in the shadow when you could see it. Um, but at this point uh, we, were, we still had the argument facing us that you can see faces in clouds, you can see faces in nature, uh, this would be a rather improbable thing to see, but it is possible to be an accident of nature. In science, there is a method called the a priori principle that allows you to distinguish accidents from reality. It's a test all scientists use to establish signif statistical significance to their results. Basically, it says you take your first instance of something and make predictions from it, with, uh, uh, that, uh, predictions of things that you have no data at all on uh, so far, and then uh, the predictions distinguish hypotheses, in this case, a natural origin, a product of nature or geology, versus an artificial origin, a, a built object. The prediction in this case that it's built is that um, when viewed close up, there would be secondary facial features to support these primary ones. Uh, the eye would have an iris and uh, eyebrows, the nose would have nostrils, the mouth would be parted lips, and so on. Um, in this high-resolution photo taken in 1998, the face was again imaged as we see up in this corner. When that image was released to the media on April 5, 1998, this is the image that the J Jet Propulsion Laboratory, JPL, released. Uh, this, uh, anyone would agree, is, uh, is a very natural-looking object. It does look like a pile of rocks and uh, make the, the face look like an accident. The trouble is that uh, it doesn't look anything like the previous image. Um, and there's, a, there's an even bigger problem for the scientists. It doesn't look like the data that came down from the spacecraft either, and that's a more serious problem, the, beta, the data that this image was based on. Well, on the JPL website that is cited in the press kit, you can go there and you can see this image and the actual image that it was based on side by side and the recipe for how JPL got from one to the other. They put the actual image through a high pass filter, then through a low pass filter, then they averaged the two to get this image. They claimed the justification was to remove striping from the original image uh, that was an artifact of the, uh, of the CCD chip. Uh, that's not a scientifically legitimate way to uh, remove striping because it removes all the detail in an image. For example, from Adobe Photoshop, we see this description of what a high-pass filter does to an image. Uh, emphasizes uh, uh, edge details. The important thing is uh, suppresses the rest of the image. The filter removes low-frequency detail in an image. It's used for extracting line art and large black and white areas from scanned images. When we go back to the actual image, um, the actual image was taken at a rather oblique angle under extremely unfavorable lighting conditions. Uh, but because we have the older images from a different angle, we can triangulate. And computer uh, processing programs are very good now at giving, reproducing lighting from any angle. So we can use those computer techniques with the actual data. Um, this is done by a computer, not by an artist. There is no introduction of new data in this image by any artist. It is just rearranging the features you see by computer instructions to restore a high angle of lighting, 
put the shadows in the right place and to restore an overhead view from this oblique view to one side. And here's what happens when we do that. There's the lighting restored, and now we rotate to a view from above. And this is what the uh, object actually looks like, as best we can tell at this point. Um, so both uh, the uh, other scientific arguments uh, and the new view uh, of the face uh, certainly have our attention with regard to perspective artificiality of this object, but there is more. In this image, to the amazement of everyone, uh, including the scientists uh, involved who made these predictions, we can see two nostrils at the end of the nose. We can see uh, an iris inside the eye socket. We can see an eyebrow feature over the eye socket. We can see that the mouth does consist of parted lips. Uh, all of those predictions uh, that were made in advance to distinguish artificial from natural were fulfilled in favor of an artificial or built object in this image. Moreover, they are fulfilled in a most interesting way because there is no background of similar features from which we can pick and choose the ones that fit our preconception of a face. So when all is said and done, um, this a priori principle that I mentioned uh, allows us to calculate the odds, uh, the calculated odds of the face itself being found by chance only apply to the next instance, not to the one already found. Uh, that can be a face in clouds effect, however improbable it is. But the predictions that were made in advance are referring to the next instance. And in that case, we have uh, the prediction of these secondary facial features, their size, their shape, their location, their orientation. There's a probability to each of them. The fact that uh, each of these things were fulfilled individually ranging with probabilities from 1 in 10 to 1 in 10,000, uh, and that all the features showed up and that they have the right size, shape, location, and orientation gives us uh, very large combined odds against chance. Um, and uh, the fact that there is no background of similar features means that the, um, the calculations are statistically significant to a scientist. The combined odds uh, of this feature arising as a product of nature uh, or, uh, or the chance origin hypothesis are a thousand billion billion to one. Uh, the artificiality of Cydonia is therefore established beyond a reasonable, reasonable doubt, the Cydonia face. This is now the second uh, face image, not the, not the Cydonia one. Uh, this is at a, uh, another location on Mars near the famous dark marty, marking Sirtis Major. Uh, it's located about a quarter away around the planet from Cydonia. Um, the uh, coloration is always uh, artist's addition to the original image uh, shown here. Don't let that uh, detract from the or original image shown on the left, uh, but there are some of us, uh, we, we divide into left and right, right brain groups, and uh, the left brain groups uh, seem to prefer the, uh, the help of the artist, and the right brain groups kind of think that detracts. Um, so in, in the case of this, which is a sample of the kinds of artistic imagery we're seeing on Mars, uh, one of many, um, it is really the interrelationships and the context which establish artificiality. Nonetheless, the fact that it, we have a second impressive face 
on the planet and pr probably indications of a few more too, uh, not quite so impressive, uh, tell us again that uh, those a priori odds uh, that do apply to the second and third instances, um, that these are statistically significant and telling us that the planet is arti has artificiality, artificial structures on it, and that these are not pro uh, uh, repeated instances of freakish chances of nature. Now this is the last of the sample images uh, I'll show. It's in three parts. Uh, <clears throat> this is the bottom of the same image that was taken in 1998 that showed the face at the top. Uh, we saw that inset off to the right on the first uh, slide showing the face. Uh, uh, so quite near the fa face at Cydonia, uh, near the bottom with the uh, D&M pyramid that we have a model of on the table uh, just off the screen to the left here, we have uh, uh, a right V-shaped uh, feature down in this area. So just concentrate on the bright feature in that area and notice that just above it uh, is a darkness that we, that's not otherwise resolved, just above the, uh, the bright V right in here and a little more above and to the left of it. Uh, when we magnify that area without any uh, in proce processing or alteration, what we see is here's the bright V-shaped feature. Um, we just magnified the whole area and adjusted the brightness and contrast uh, to eye level again. And uh, the dark mark markings here are a little more distinct now, and some of you, you will already begin to see um, that the dark markings are not random, uh, but seem to form familiar-looking uh, shapes, somewhat like symbols. Some of you will not see that. Uh, while I was showing this very picture uh, at a presentation not unlike this, um, someone behind me was um, videotaping this, and I noticed uh, when I turned around that the whole room had clustered behind the video camera looking at the little viewfinder of the video camera instead of looking at the original on the screen. And the reason was because the video camera automatically applied a noise filter to get, of any, get rid of any random noise in the background of the image. Uh, and that gave me a, a tip that that would be an interesting thing to do with this image. So I uh, said to the computer, and again, this is to a computer, not to an artist. I said, just take this whole image. I'm not telling the computer anything about what's in this image or what the target is. I just said, apply a noise filter to this image. And when we did that, we got this result. And now we can see a little more clearly because the background uh, has faded away, uh, that we are dealing with things that look like strings of symbols um, with a uh, larger uh, one at the left end, uh, very reminiscent of the way we use uh, language symbols. Now, I, uh, although some of these look Romanesque, uh, I don't think it would be appropriate to, to say that there are Roman characters on Mars uh, because uh, the, uh, many of the symbols are not recognizable to us, uh, like this one at the end of the string here. Uh, we see uh, other instances of reverse P's and R's and other places that are like symbols in other alphabets but not Roman. I think the answer here is there's just a very limited number of symbols you can make out of a few lines and curves and that any symbolic alphabet, if that's what it is, would have necessarily familiar characters in it. Uh, the only thing to, to uh, add here is that 
Um, these image, this particular image, uh, because it uh, contained the face on it, it was downloaded from the spacecraft to computers at Mail and Space Science Systems under the watchful eye of reporters. And while still in the computer, the format was changed to an internet-appropriate format, and it was uploaded to the internet within 20 minutes of receipt without ever existing outside the computer. And uh, at that point, thousands of people, including myself, downloaded the image from the internet where it still sits today. So the point is that uh, with something like this, since if those are on Mars uh, and they are not uh, an accident of nature, uh, the odds of, against that being enormous, uh, then we are dealing with, again, symbols of intelligence. So the question arises, did somebody accidentally or deliberately write those on into a photograph uh, at JPL or Mail and Space Science Systems? That wasn't possible in this case. Uh, so our conclusion uh, to this section of the discussion is that the consequences uh, of a claim that something is true are entirely irrelevant to the issue or whether or not the claim is true. And with that, I'll uh, throw the, uh, the uh, discussion open to questions and be guided by your questions as to uh, wh what avenues we want to follow up. Thank you. The question is, could the civilization of, on Mars have been lost to war? Uh, well, we... Uh, <laughs> We don't know too much directly until we explore and get some ground truth here uh, about the origin or the demise of the, of the hypothetical uh, civilization here. But we do know, uh, and this is standard uh, science that is accepted by, uh, by all the planetary geologists, that Mars at some point suffered a, a horrendous cataclysm. Uh, now, as to what, that, what the nature of that cataclysm was, that's where opinions divide. Uh, I think there is evidence that Mars was at one time a moon of a larger planet that exploded in the not all that distant past, millions rather than billions of years ago. Here are j just a few of the items uh, that suggest uh, that the cataclysm was that kind uh, of an event. Uh, Mars is strongly cratered on one side. The craters are saturated on about half of Mars and uh, very sparse, hardly any uh, cratering at all on the other hemisphere, uh, which again suggests a cataclysm on one side or the other. The standard view is that the, there's a cataclysm that removed the craters on the smooth side. Uh, I think it's more likely that there's a cataclysm that produced the craters on the saturated side. Uh, the crust is 20 kilometers thicker on one side and only one kilometer thick on, thick on the smooth side. Uh, the uh, pole suddenly shifted about 90 degrees uh, in one fell swoop. The original dense atmosphere is now gone, swept away by something. Uh, there are fission byproducts, uh, things unique to uh, massive explosions, uh, usually artificial explosions, such as xenon-129 found in extra abundance on Mars. Um, so that's just a sample of these indicators of a cataclysm. If there were a civilization either there or on the parent world, uh, they would have been facing uh, extinction uh, at that point unless they were able to migrate elsewhere. How do, how do you differentiate the importance of the structures and faces found on Mars versus what can be seen on moon photos? 
Uh, I would differentiate the features we've seen on Mars from those on the moon in a number of ways. Uh, we see lots of faces on Earth, too, uh, faces in mountains and in, in topography. And of course, uh, as everyone knows, we see faces uh, uh, in clouds, all kinds of natural formations. Um, what distinguishes Mount Rushmore from the others uh, is that uh, there is a, um, a context and the, uh, uh, the level of detail and the fact that it's three-dimensional instead of two. Only in the case of the Cydonia face on Mars have we established three-dimensionality to the facial features. So the nose really is the highest point on that face. The eye sockets are really recessed. Uh, the original explanation when it was first seen is it's a trick of light and shadow. Well, in the case of the Cydonia face, it's a trick of light and shadow that exists at all lighting angles uh, and with all shadows because it's an actual three-dimensional sculpture. That's a strong uh, determining factor in favor of artificiality, but the strongest argument is the fact that we have two generations of images. For the, with the first one, we are able to make predictions. If this is natural, then this follows. If this is artificial, then this follows. All of the predictions of the artificiality hypothesis were fulfilled dramatically at levels that are just uh, 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 impossible to arise by chance. So that's the answer I would give. Uh, yes. Yes. Is uh, your conclusion that these we're dealing with only ruins from a long time ago, or with also currently uh, inhabited structures? Uh, and if currently, obviously, wouldn't be from Earth, but from Mars. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, we have no uh, evidence of current uh, activity of intelligences on Mars, although that uh, image I showed you that looked like a tree does certainly suggest that there is current large biology on the planet. Um, but our best guess at this point, and all we have is speculations to go by, uh, is that the major cataclysm Mars suffered perhaps uh, ended uh, life on Mars the way uh, mass extinction events on Earth five times in the history of the Earth have nearly wiped out life on this planet. Yes. Uh, do they know the location of where the uh, seemingly feminine face is so they can in general go by that area again and give us maybe a thousand more pictures of that, that face? <clears throat> where uh, they can go back and get views at higher resolution under better lighting right now that should go a long way toward resolving any doubts uh, about the artificiality of these objects and establishing it or denying it uh, at, at a, a level that should be satisfactory to all of the scientists uh, involved. So we hope that NASA will take the opportunity to follow up during the remaining short lifetime of the spacecraft. Sir, you're aware, and you've even said, that there is, a, in, a, in large part, ridicule and or denial. How would you tell the layperson in that 20 seconds you'll get on TV? what it is you believe did or does exist on Mars? I would say that in the examination of the images we now have, there are 67,000 of them, of which we have examined several thousand uh, in close detail. Uh, we've turned up anomalies so unlikely to be products of nature, and in some cases, fulfilling a priori predictions and having uh, relationships and contexts that support artificiality 
that the conclusion that there, is, there are artificial structures on Mars is now beyond a reasonable doubt. To the skeptic who says, I won't believe it until the government tells me, you would say? Uh, he, here are the pictures. Uh, all we're asking for is that the spacecraft uh, that is there now and the one that is on its way there now be pointed in this direction to get pictures that confirm or deny these uh, hypotheses to everyone's satisfaction. Uh, considering that the MGS was several miles high when it shot the pictures of what you alleged to be vegetation, is there any idea the, the circumference of the vegetation, of what you believe to be vegetation, and also the tubes? Could you tell us if it looks like there was a reflection from an object that you were calling the tube? Uh, do you have any idea where the sun was in the sky at that point in time so that we could determine what was being shot from the MGS Mars Global Surveyor? Uh, yes. Uh, well, uh, taking the last point first, the sun was at uh, uh, 2 o'clock, which is at the just uh, 30 degrees past uh, overhead to the west. So it was in the right position to make that reflection, uh, for, for given the orientation of the tube at that time. The scale of the tree picture I showed, the largest one, was about 100 meters in diameter which is rather large by, for an Earth tree, but Mars is in a much weaker gravity field, and structures, uh, trees that big, are conceivable there. We really haven't even begun to study the possibilities, because up to now there's been no reason to believe there was Mars biology. Uh, but now we think there may be, and that would be an active field for further in in interest. If, with future flights, we'll see that these faces and sculptures are just natural formations, if they are, that is, would you continue looking for other signs of life? Well, the scientists involved uh, are strictly uh, researchers. Uh, whatever the uh, data shows, uh, that's good enough uh, for any of us. Uh, we're, we're not pushing any agenda. Or will there be a continued effort even though? Well, there are 67,000 images already in the queue and tens of thousands more uh, coming down the pike. We want to see what's there, uh, don't you? Uh, yes, definitely. <laughs> so we'll, be, we'll, we'll keep looking. Brian, I have something you want to add? Yeah, I think that's an interesting question because you have to look at the cultural context of what's been going on. For 25 years now, we've had this face image, and yet NASA has been totally ignoring it. Uh, the, the, most of the people that are on the investigation teams that have been funded by NASA, and I used to be on one of the teams, uh, I was on the Mariner 10 team. I was deputy team leader of the Mariner 10 Venus Mercury mission. Uh, Mike Malin, who's in charge of the imaging for the Mars Global Surveyor, was a graduate student then. He, he basically worked for me. <laughs> and uh, since I began to give credibility to the inquiry, not, not necessarily the result, then all of a sudden, I was out. Not one penny from NASA, not one acknowledgement. This is what's happening culturally. And if you understand that, then you begin to see the pattern. The um, geologists on the Mars Global Surveyor team look at Mars through geological colored glasses. So they're going to be looking for canyons and signs for water erosion and so forth and so on. Whereas some of us outside of NASA have culturally coalesced uh, admittedly in a, a kind of an uh, ad hoc way because we, we haven't been organized or funded for any of the work. And so if you look at it from that point of view, 
you begin to understand how it might be that these investigations actually are every bit as credible as the ones that happen within NASA. It's just culturally different. Sam. In your opinion, why has NASA refused to give any credibility to any possibility of non-terrestrial life, past, present, or future, uh, all these stories about the Brookings Institution report and uh, sociologically this and people this. You know, we've grown up through 40 or 50 years of sci-fi movies and young people being interested in the subject. That won't wash anymore. What do you believe is the real reason NASA is putting the lid on this information? My guess is that the Brookings Institution report, which is a very important report, basically recommended a policy that the U.S. government would not admit to any evidence for extraterrestrial intelligence. So it's been obfuscated ever since, well, it goes way back to Roswell, actually. If you look at the paradigm of inquiry in extraterrestrial intelligence, the only one that's, that's really passed the mustard, and that was through the efforts of Carl Sagan and some of his colleagues, was the radio telescopic search for extrasolar uh, extraterrestrial intelligence, radio signals. But that paradigm is very limited, and it makes a number of cultural assumptions about how extraterrestrial intelligence might manifest. What we're looking at now are uh, probable artifacts on another planet. And those kinds of investigations, for whatever reason, there may have been a policy decision made quite a while ago, pursuant to the Brookings report, that Anything like this has got to be not sanctioned. I know that mainstream conservative scientists tend to not want to touch it either. They're afraid they might lose their funding. So not many of us are able to speak out on this, even though our science, Tom Van Flanderen's science, my science, uh, the scientific aspect is every bit as conservative as anybody else's. What, what do you think uh, the people should do about this? What, 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 do you, what, would you, what would you suggest, knowing how we're being dumbed down so, so deeply? I think we need to broaden the education. I think we need, people need to have more courage uh, to go for the truth rather than uh, go for what's politically correct, uh, that we are living in a dark age right now. We're going toward fossil fuels, uh, the wrong direction. Now maybe that will wake us up, uh, the rest of us, to say, well, we do have alternatives. We have alternatives in energy, and we have alternatives in expanding our knowledge base and opening ourselves up more into inquiry in the question of whether we're alone in the universe. I would like to hear, um, hear from Dr. Van Flandern about the relation between NASA and JPL that seems to illuminate um, why there is such hostility to um, following up on these um, pictures. We don't ultimately know uh, JPL's uh, motives for its use of ridicule in connection with this program rather than addressing it scientifically. But I did work myself at the uh, laboratory for uh, four months back in the 70s and I uh, got a sense of the, the mindset there and uh, I, I, for my taste as a scientist, uh, even then it was not a healthy mindset. Uh, there was concern in the laboratory because they only get funding for robotic space missions. Uh, and there was a feeling in the 70s that um, the Apollo missions 
had ended the series of JPL uh, missions to the moon in favor of manned missions out of the NASA centers. And even after the manned missions ended, uh, that never uh, reversed. And there were no more robotic missions to the moon that JPL was given uh, funding or uh, control over. It's the best conjecture I can give as to why they seem institutionally uh, determined to ridicule and make life difficult for scientists and media um, who give, who mere, merely publish uh, uh, images, genuine images from the space program with genuine scientific commentary uh, and make taken seriously. Uh, and that's scientifically inappropriate, that much I will say for sure. Is there a reason to send human beings to Mars? Well, I think that's up to uh, the American people, they're up to the people in the world. Uh, from my point of view, I think it would be a very exciting thing to do. It may not be top priority. Right now, I think top priority is to save the Earth, to unsoil our nest. Uh, but we'd certainly like to visit other nests, too, and see what happened there. Uh, I think these pictures are very revealing, and they are leading us into, hopefully, what will become a mainstream inquiry, where, where we don't have to put our lives on the line to be able to do the work. Okay, thank you very much. That concludes the session. I want to thank Thomas Van Flanden and Brian O'Leary for uh, joining me today at this uh, important news conference. Thank you all. Bye-bye. There is a strong mindset by the people in charge of the Mars Exploration Program that we don't uh, we, we are certain that the idea of artifacts on other planets and moons uh, is such a long shot as not to be scientifically worth considering and that the standards of the public and some of the scientists investigating these are too low and they're seeing the kinds of faces everybody sees in clouds and mountains and they do not spend their valuable time looking at the reports, looking at the work of the researchers, reading their papers, they just ridicule. It's unfortunate, it's unscientific behavior, but that is the, the stance they have adopted as a response to all of this material. The odds against a natural origin are now a thousand billion billion to one, and that's good enough for me. Uh, so I'm concluding uh, in simple layman's language, it's artificial beyond a reasonable doubt. We don't know the motives of the uh, builders or the intelligent species that we now think uh, once inhabited Mars, but the fact that they are showing things uh, so frequently familiar to us, so terrestrial in nature, suggests that this was not uh, part of uh, infrastructure for uh, an, a, an indigenous civilization, but rather it was something like what our own moon will resemble in a thousand years from now when we have tourism visiting the place uh, and viewing from uh, space stations in orbit. Uh, it's artistic and museum-like quality uh, that suggests um, uh, an attempt to portray things elsewhere rather than things that are useful to the species living there. I think it's a fascinating feature, and you're referring to the feminine face, uh, or the king, or the queen, or whatever, the crown. Uh, it, has a, it has a very interesting and restful quality, uh, but the, the original face on Mars is still, I think, scientifically the most convincing because 
the three-dimensional structure of the face is very face-like. And we know that now from two Viking pictures that were taken at different sun angles. So we were able to pair them up and, and get a three-dimensional structure, which makes it more like Mount Rushmore than the Old Man on the Mountain in New Hampshire, which is just a one-dimensional thing. You know, I think the important thing at this time is to establish the credibility of the investigation and to look at these objects uh, openly and not, uh, not with the kind of censorship and ridicule uh, and cover-up that NASA has been involved in. I think NASA may be following the Brookings uh, policy 1961, which basically said that if there's any discovery of extraterrestrial intelligence or artifacts in the solar system, that this should be kept from the public. And I think that's been happening across the board. But, the, you know, it's, it's very obvious to me that through the years, the accumulated evidence for the UFO phenomenon, for the anomalies on Mars, uh, the crop circle phenomenon, that right now there's this tremendous pa paradigm collision going on. There's a conflict between two very different points of view. And the, the forces that are covering this up and obfuscating and steering people away from orderly inquiry I think is, is a crime against humanity. So how long did it take you to create this uh, giant face on Mars sculpture? It took about three and a half months for it to com com be completely dry because it couldn't be handled before that. It's uh, made of paper mache. What were your feelings as you worked on it over that long period of time? Well, as I concentrated on the face, half of the face was not visible, so I had to make up what was in that shadow part. The main thing that I saw was that had been a huge cataclysm that created a flood, a huge flood that sort of wiped the whole planet, like washed it, you see? I felt that the, the face had been washed. What do you think of the new face on Mars? Oh, it was shocking. When you show me that face, uh, it was shocking. I mean, this face is so realistic. Like the men mentioned, that face has emotion. This face, I could not make up whether it was an animal, mm -hmm. an extraterrestrial, a human, but the proportions are right between the forehead, the nose, and the chin. You know, it's a face. Uh, and the new face, it's almost unbelievable. Well, the implications would depend a lot on what that means in terms of uh, are we alone or what, how does the human species fit into this picture? And there are still two almost diametric possibilities there. It may turn out that this is evidence for somebody other than us, or it may turn out this, that this is newly discovered evidence of our own prehistory, uh, and that there was a, the, something like the human civilization was at an advanced state on another world. And when the cataclysm came, they had to send as many uh, members of the species as they could elsewhere possibly to Earth to survive, and that the human race then evolved from a, a new beginning from those survivors. Well, I think the public could handle it. I think the public, uh, I, I'm a very much a populist. I think that people need to wake up and see that we do have energy alternatives, that we do have uh, what looks like life out there beyond the Earth. And I think the public's ready.